If you have your Bible, take it with me and turn to John chapter 10 this morning. Kids, uh, ages three and four, up to not including kindergarten, you can make your way to the back. Rebecca is on her way back there. Um, she will meet you in the back. John chapter 10 this morning, we're going to look at the first 18 verses in this chapter. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are uh, so there is a stack of Bibles back in the back, right behind the door. Feel free to stand up and pick one of those up. It's always important to have the words that I'm about to read in front of you. Um, if you needed to download an app quick, that's fine too. Um, but have these words in front of you this morning because these are not my words. These are the words of God breathed out by his spirit to us, given to the Apostle John 2,000 years ago. And so, this morning, as we read these things, this is not devised by man, but it is given to us by the very mouth of God. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and like I said, I'll read through verse 18. This is Jesus speaking as we jump in here to John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold or the, the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way that man is a thief and a robber but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In the ancient world, there were a lot of things that were very dangerous to do, to engage in. One of those things being travel. One of those things uh, being travel. And travel, uh, even up to 100 years ago, I wouldn't consider that ancient history, but even up to 100 years ago, was really sketchy. It was something that was not uh, no certainty in it. And I've been reading some early American history, and even at the start of the 19th century, 
Um, you don't know what you were going to encounter when you chose to travel somewhere. We take mobility for granted in our world. We just hop in the car and drive down I-94, and as long as it's not a blizzard outside, we should be fine. Roads were poorly maintained in the ancient world and often indistinguishable, even in the early Americas. Nothing traveled faster than a horse. That included the mail. So if you send a piece of mail, uh, the speed of a horse was as fast as it was going to get where it was going. Uh, and there were lots of questions to answer. Where would you stay along the way? There wasn't a hotel at every exit on the interstate. Uh, what if your horse came up lame? What if your carriage broke an axle? And if anything went wrong to you and you were unable to fix it or remedy the situation by yourself, you would essentially have to wait for someone else to pass by, which could be hours or even days. In some ways, uh, just considering even the early American history, some ways travel in ancient Rome would have been a whole lot easier than, than in that time period. The Lewis and Clark expedition was an incredible journey. Ne nearly nothing was known about the, the, the western portion of America, sort of west of Mandan. Thomas Jefferson thought the Rocky Mountains were similar to the Appalachians. <laughs> That's funny. Jefferson had hoped that Lewis and Clark could find a complete water route to, from St. Louis to the Pacific Ocean. We know that that's not possible. The expedition encountered incredible obstacles. Things like, like no man could have been conceived of, one of those things being grizzly bears. Um, no 19th century Virginian could have possibly dreamt up a grizzly bear. Even with eight bullets through the lungs of a grizzly, it would still be chasing the men through the, some terrain, unknown terrain in Montana. That expedition was something that we can't really wrap our minds around. We take travel for granted, again, in climate-controlled vehicles, mostly on well-paved roads, depending on what state you're in, hurtling down the interstate at 80 miles per hour in a, in a ton of metal. No grizzly bear trying to tear us apart at that speed. Um, just watch out for that ice and the potholes. But Jesus' contemporaries would have understood the difficulty of travel, and they would have understood the difficulty of many things and the danger that accompanied many daily activities in the ancient world. Jesus even tells a parable in, 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 in the Gospels, uh, a well-known one, you know it well, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, where the setup is a travel situation go, gone wrong. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho descended. It was windy. There were a lot of rocks, and that's why the man in the parable gets mugged, because there are a lot of places to hide, so you can jump out and mug someone. For this reason, many people didn't travel at all, because so many things could go wrong, and because it just wasn't safe. The idea of travel in the ancient world and danger in general was something that was accepted as a reality for nearly everyday activity. And so when we get to John chapter 10, and Jesus' words here, we have an unprecedented amount of security offered to a group of people who Jesus has been speaking to. In these verses, in these 18 verses that I just read, we have actually two I am statements that Jesus has made. Remember, there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Um, we've seen two already in John chapter 5. We saw Jesus say, I am the bread of life. And then just a, a, a chapter ago, or I'm sorry, two chapters ago, Jesus 
talks about being the light of the world. He repeats it again in John chapter 9. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And now he says, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd. Remember, when Jesus makes these I am statements, he is claiming to be God. He says, he says I am, and pulls us all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, where we remember where, Jesus, or where God himself reveals to Moses his name in Exodus chapter 3. The interesting thing about John chapter 10 is that when we dive in here, the tone sort of shifts. So Jesus has been, if you've been with us, Jesus has been in this, embroiled in this conflict. With, uh, with the Jews, with the scribes and the Pharisees. And they've been confused about his words and they've been going after him and they've even been trying to kill him. At the end of John chapter 8, we see that they pick up stones to stone Jesus because of his deity claim, because he claims to be God. And if we look back where we were even last week, the, the end of John chapter 9, there's a conflict that's happening. Jesus is speaking to the man that he healed at the beginning of John chapter 9. This man was born blind. Jesus spits in the mud, rubs it on his eyes. The man goes and washes it off in the pool of Siloam. And then his eye, and then he can see. And the, the, the religious leaders come to, to this man and continue to question him. And then they question his parents. And then they question him again. And then they kick him out of the synagogue. And Jesus, when he hears that they cast him out of the synagogue, in verse 35 in chapter 9, he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, and who is he? And then Jesus reveals himself to this man. And then in verse 39, Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who may uh, who may see, who see may become blind. And the Pharisees overhear this. And I mean, that's a provoking statement. They said, are we blind too? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So Jesus is uh, expressing to them that judgment is coming upon them because they see clearly what Jesus is doing in the world around them. And yet they refuse to acknowledge who he is. They refuse to acknowledge who he is. And so that's the conflict that sets up Jesus' words in John chapter 10. No new setting is given. It just continues here. It continues moving. And so Jesus launched in, launches in in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, or the sheepfold by the doors, but climbs in by another way, the man is the thief. And a robber. So here's what Jesus is communicating here in John chapter 10. Unlike the traveler, or unlike anyone who might find themselves in a difficult situation, a situation that is risky or less than secure, um, unlike the traveler who is exposed to dangers and difficulties, Jesus gives his sheep access to a home that is perfectly secured by himself. That's what I want you to take away this morning. That Jesus gives his sheep access. Those who follow him have access to a home that is perfectly secured by him. No one can do this but him. He is the access to our eternal home and our refuge, our stronghold, 
He is the door of the sheep. And then in the second I am statement, when he says, I am the good shepherd, he is our protection. He is our shield. And those words should be, uh, should be familiar to you if you've read the Psalms recently. Go home and read Psalm 18, just the first two or three verses, and you will see the type of protection language, the type of access language that Jesus echoes here. He is our protection and our shield. He is our good shepherd. So these two I am statements are going to kind of operate as our mile markers this morning as we walk through this text. They're going to operate as our, we'll say, guideposts. So I want you to look with me at verse, um, verse, uh, verse two. Actually, jump down. Let's start. Let's start in verse seven, where Jesus explicitly says, "I am the door of the sheep." That's our first thing this morning. I am the door of the sheep. Jesus leads into this verse, verse seven, in verses one through six by talking about the incorrect way to enter the sheepfold. Now, sheepfold, don't get hung up in that word. That just means the pen that the sheep live in. It's like the sheep house, the sheep's home. The sheep live in the, in the sheepfold. The ones who enter into this home by any other way than the door don't belong. Now, this makes perfect sense, right? Um, if, if you're headed home this morning after congregational worship and uh, you... You see someone who you don't know climbing into your next door neighbor's window. You're going to think to yourself, that person doesn't belong there. And you'll shout it. I hope you don't just say, oh, that's weird. And then go about your day. I hope your conscience, I hope your conscience makes you or forces you to take action and either shout at that person or call the police, something like that. Now, Jesus says that there are those who climb in by another way. It's a very simple metaphor, a simple understanding. Those who enter in by any way other than the door, they don't belong. This is reminiscent of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. This is a different picture, but the effect is the same. There is a true door. Another way or a wide way are both referring to incorrect access points. You can't access by another way. It was only a few verses ago, I guess it was in John chapter 8, a couple weeks ago when we were exploring this, that Jesus goes after with the with the, with the Jews, he goes after one of these other ways. When he challenged the trust that the Jews put in having descended from Abraham, when he challenged them, he told them that it wasn't the blood of Abraham that they needed to share in, to enter in, but it was by the, the faith of Abraham that they needed. Faith that believed that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all of the promises of God made to man. We need to ask, what are the ways that we seek to climb in? What are the ways that others around us who are engaging, who have not trusted Jesus, what ways are they trying to climb into the sheepfold? The Jews again tried to claim that it was their heritage. 
But Jesus makes it clear. These ones are thieves and robbers. The church in Galatia, you think about the, the, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, they thought it was by their law-keeping, especially by circumcision. Jesus says, if you're entering into or attempting to enter into a back door or through a window, you're a thief or a robber. In our culture, we try to climb in with what we, we call good intentions. We do this all of the time. We say, well, I intended to read my Bible and pray and go to church and the commands of, do the commands of Christ, but I'm just so busy. And many of you are in the corner of the world, especially in the upper Midwest, think that good intentions are what God looks at. You say, like, I know they mean well. God just hangs back. I know that person. Well, it'll be fine. I'll overlook it this time. Personally, I think that probably the place that this gets put under the microscope most frequently is in our marriages. In our marriages. If you're married in this room, I find myself personally oftentimes defending my actions by saying, well, I didn't intend it. I do I do this pretty regularly. I found myself, and I've been convicted of this recently. I didn't intend my tone of voice to be argumentative. I didn't intend to interrupt you. I didn't intend to be 15 minutes later than I said when I'd be home. I didn't intend to be distracted by my phone in the middle of a conversation. As if my sin in those instances was justified by my lack of intentionality. I don't need to justify myself, though. I need to fall on the one who justifies, Jesus Christ. This is the sin of seeking to self-justify. We pile it on. But if we can't get in, so according to what Jesus says, when he says, I am the door of the sheep, if we can't have access to God uh, through our heritage, if we can't have access to God through our, uh, through our law-keeping, if we can't have access to God through our good intentions, and none of them are the true door, then what is? If thieves and robbers try to climb through windows, but when you're a friend of a homeowner, you just need to ring the doorbell and walk through the front door. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the proper access point. To have relationship with God the Father, we need to look nowhere else but Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. He says it again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. That in and out language... I kind of tripped over that when I was looking at this the first time. But this is the portrait of belonging. Going in and out. Having a place, a home that's so familiar to you that you can come in and out and go in and out without any type of hindrance. Those who enter by Jesus belong. Those who seek to enter by heritage or law-keeping or any other thing good intentions. They do not. Jesus also in this passage, though, in sort of a different way, uh, addresses those who tried to lead, those who try to lead others into, uh, or give, or try to lead others 
another way than through the door, other way than Jesus. In verse 8, he said, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. The sheep who belong to the shepherd and belong in his sheepfold, who have his sheepfold as their home, they know the difference between the true shepherd and the imposters. Because the voice is different. Because the voice is different. Jesus says, they won't be deceived. They will follow only the shepherd. They won't follow strangers. And so we learn something specific here about, about Jesus. Those who belong to him, his sheep, are discerning. They're discerning of the thieves and robbers. If anyone is making alternative claims to Jesus, if anyone is saying, well, you can get access to God the Father through some other way, the sheep discern that and they say, no, that's not, not right. They know the difference between the door and the window. They know the difference between truth and lies. They know that Jesus has their best in mind and the deceivers have something else in mind altogether. These deceivers' minds are not set on, are set on stealing. The deceivers' minds are set on stealing, verse 10, killing, and destroying. But Jesus came to give life, and even life that is lived in abundance. Jesus knows his sheep by name and leads them according to his word. And so his sheep are discerning, but then the second thing that we learn is that the sheep are content with him. They have found truth, and they do not need to follow anyone other than Jesus. And note that Jesus' followers here aren't this nameless, faceless mass. The followers of Jesus here are specific. Jesus knows you by name. Look at verse 4. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. There's an intimacy that the shepherd has with the sheep. Again, it's not this big group of mob of people that he's just get in there and do the thing. He knows each and every one by name and he calls them by name. No one, friends, no one, if you're in Christ, never slipped your mind. Never slipped your mind. Jesus has never thought to himself, what what, what about, oh, what's his name? In Jamestown, North Dakota. Kind of forgot about him. Oh, yeah. Jesus knows his sheep by name. One of the tools of Satan is to make you think that Jesus can't live up to this. That Jesus somehow is incapable or impotent when it comes to remembering your name. To remembering your status in him. That Jesus might not care enough to bother with that, this person, or that. But those who enter by the door, those who have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ, those who belong and enter into the home by Jesus, 
Those who find the relationship with God as natural as walking through your front door later today. Those ones will not be lost. They will not be forgotten. They will not be ignored. Followers of Jesus are content with Him and discerning of the stranger's voices. Those who enter by the door belong and those who attempt to enter by any other way and who try to get others to follow them. Those ones, according to Jesus, are thieves and robbers. The second I am statement that Jesus makes here is in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus' first definition of the good shepherd is sacrifice, self-sacrifice. There's some overlap between this idea and the other one, and, and the other I am statement that he makes here, which is probably why they're so closely together and linked in the same discourse. But Jesus is now primarily driving at the security. So he's talking about the access point when he's talking about the door, and now he's talking about the security that we have in him. Remember the statement I made at the beginning. Unlike those who engage in risky, dangerous activity, um, who are exposed to dangers and difficulties, Jesus gives his sheep access to a home that is perfectly secured by him. Access by the true door and security by the good shepherd. Now, if you heard me make that statement and you're objecting, because I think maybe you might, if I said, unlike the traveler who is exposed to dangers and difficulties, we would be discerning about what Jesus is truly saying here. Because there are so-called Christian teachers who are going to try to tell you, these are thieves and robbers, very clearly, they're going to try and tell you or convince you that you're, if you're experiencing any type of danger or difficulty in your life, that there's something wrong with you. That there's something wrong with your measure of faith. But Jesus doesn't ever promise that life will be absent of danger and difficulty. And a quick glance at Jesus' words later in the Gospel in, in, uh, in Chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus does not follow up that statement, or he does follow that statement up by saying, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then a quick glance at the Apostle Paul and his life and what he endured on his missionary journeys um, well, it should give us pause to that idea as well. A quick glance there in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-four through 28, he describes all that happened to him. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Five, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all of the churches. So Jesus must be talking about a different kind of security. Jesus is the shepherd that secures us in the life that is greater than the one that we have now. An eternal and an abundant life. Jesus stands between... Uh, here's, here's where it rubber hits the road. Jesus stands between us and death. 
This is where the rubber hits the road in what Jesus is saying about security and good, being the good shepherd. Jesus stands between us and death. It's the hired hand that shows up when the danger, that runs away when the danger shows up. Jesus stands in between us and the death and death to the point of death himself. And don't just think of death as physical. Don't think of your body dying. But everything that is not the way that God designed it. Think of death as everything in a way that God did not design it. Because we tend to boil down death to two things. Dying physically, like when our body dies, and dying eternally, separated from God in hell. But I want to propose that death, the way that the Bible talks about death, is everything that is not how God designed it. No one is alive who does not first repent and believe. People who ignore God go their own way. They're just as dead as those who are dying. There is nothing that they can do that can produce anything other than death. Sometimes we say that people aren't Christians who are not living for Christ. They say, he's a nice guy, but he's not living for Christ. But the truth is, he's dead and he's dying. Anyone who has not entered through the door into relationship with God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ, and anyone who does not know the voice of the Good Shepherd, their life is marked by death. And before Christ, we loved it. We, we loved it. We loved the stench of our own rotting corpse. There was no altering our trajectory. Our sin and our death, or then death gave birth to was just our condition. It was our active choice. C.S. Lewis said it like this in The Great Divorce. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Lewis is saying that those who are in Christ, those who have trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, will willingly surrender their lives to Christ, abandoning all that brings death and has the stench of death on it, exchanging it for the life that only Christ can offer. But those who refuse Christ are given over to their sin and the death which it brings, and they willingly embrace it. God says, have it your way. But friends, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, stands between us and death. God made in a way, in the end, the reign of death comes to an end for those he chose before the foundations of the world. And, it, and an alarm should be going off in your head. It's the Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 alarm. Everybody wake up. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus steps between us and death. He is the good shepherd. He steps between us, his sheep, and the wolf. 
that seeks to devour us for all of eternity. He says, I lay my life down for the sheep. The shepherd steps between the sheep and that which seek to devour it. He ends our relationship with death by taking his life back up again. Could there be a greater shepherd? He doesn't just protect against the thieves and robbers and wolves, but he protects against death itself. Two things I want you to walk away with this morning before we approach the Lord's table. They're all interconnected here, but the first thing is this. We just talked about it. Jesus protects against the death that swallow us up for eternity. The implications of this are vast. The implications of this are vast. He does so by dying for the forgiveness of our sins. And taking his life back up again, he destroys the power of death that reigns over you and reigns over me and reigns over all of creation. And in that, he ensures that you will be raised with him on the last day. Jesus protects against the death that would swallow us up for all of eternity. But friends, the implications extend to this moment. Because Jesus also protects against the death that we would choose to embrace in this life apart from Him. Jesus protects against the death that we would choose to embrace in this life apart. What do I mean by that? It means that Jesus protects against an unfruitful life. Jesus protects against a life of fruitlessness. Your life in Christ is designed to bear fruit. Not in the world the way the, the way the world thinks about it, like power and wealth and its fruits, about personal peace and affluence. Those are not the fruits that Jesus brings in our lives. But we must think of the fruitful life in a Psalm 1 sense. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the, sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The good shepherd speaks to his sheep and the sheep know his voice and they live according to his word and they are planted by streams of living water and they bear fruit. They bear fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul unpacks. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of our lives lived according to God's Word as husbands and wives and as parents and as children and as single people and as church members and as employers and as employees, as citizens. We are able to Enter by the door and hear the voice of the Good Shepherd in everything because the Good Shepherd stands between us and death right now. 
Not in a time to come. Yes, in a time to come. But not only in a time to come. Right now. Jesus isn't just the door we come to at the end of our lives to walk through to eternity. Jesus isn't just the shepherd who ushers us through the end of this life into the next. Jesus is the one who ends our wandering and secures us so tightly, secures us so tightly now and for eternity that we can live fruitful lives absent of the fear of the danger of the thieves and robbers bring the wolves have brought to our very doorstep. Jesus is the good shepherd. There is nothing that can step between you and him. And so we approach the Lord's table this morning. And Jesus says it, right? In verse, I lay my life down. None of this is possible without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so as we approach the table this morning, think, think in your mind, reflect in your heart about the access that you have to God the Father because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Consider in your heart the fact that Jesus, through His sacrifice, defeated sin and death and guarantees that you will be raised to live with Him in eternity because of His resurrection. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night where He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant of My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. And then in verse 26, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, For as often as you eat this bread, that's today, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. What's wrapped up in that is the death that sets us in the position where we can have relationship with God and it proclaims the Lord's death that sacrifice that gives us access to God the Father until He comes, which means that He's alive. Friends, so this morning, consider as you approach the table these things. Consider that it's the sacrifice of Jesus, the Good Shepherd who lays His life down for His sheep that we picture here this morning. Consider in your own heart what you may be trusting or ways in which you may be thinking. You have access to God the Father which are no access at all. Walk through the front door. See Jesus Christ this morning. Savor Him as we approach the table together. This act is for followers of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you have not trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, just take a moment to reflect on what we've talked about this morning. I mean, you don't need to approach the table. It would be unwise for you to do so. Parents of children, um, if your child has made a profession of faith, by all means, invite them to join you at the table. Um, but if, if that is forthcoming, by all means, just use this as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus is the door of the sheep and that he is the good shepherd with them over lunch or at some other point in time. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come up. 
then feel free to approach the table when you're prepared in your own heart. God, we thank you this morning for the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. God, would you this morning stir in our hearts. God, would you uh, indicate to us the things that we may be trying to enter in or the things that we may be trusting or maybe tempted to trust even that are not Jesus Christ. God, would we see that we do not have access to God the Father, to you through our heritage, through our, through our good intention, through our law keeping. God, would we see that we only have access to you through the person of Jesus. God, as we picture that together, as we drink the juice, remembering the forgiveness of our sins, as we eat the bread, remembering the broken body, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. God, would we learn to trust you more fully? God, would you grow our faith in this time? Would you unite us together in Christ now? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.